Hi guys, thank you for coming to watch the last part of our three-part series on purity culture here on Youth Group. We have Kendra again, but we have a new uh, guest. We have Izrika Bennett. Can you please introduce yourself? Why are you qualified and what is purity culture to you? Um, yes, hi, my name is Ezrika Bennett. Um, I'm a writer. I work a lot in the church with young adults. I've been, I guess, in ministry since I was probably 17. So, um, you know, only two years. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I genuinely believe you. <laughs> no, no. Um, and the question of why am I qualified? Well, I, I, I don't know that there are specific qualifications. I don't have a doctorate of sort. I, I only have experience. Um, but I think that's, in a sense, what ties us to this conversation, is that we all have some level of experience with purity culture that has uh, been, in many ways, destructive, in many ways, limiting. Um, and so I think it's just an opportunity to share some of the ideas and healing that I've gone through as a result of deconstructing this, yeah. I think, very uh, problematic culture. Yeah. Um, and so the question of what is purity culture to me, um, I think if you asked me that question when I was an undergrad, it'd be very different than my answer now. My answer now is purity culture to me is irrelevant. Like, it's not something I lose sleep over. I've spent a significant amount of time in various forms of therapy, learning to honor my, um, I guess, my interior world, yeah. learning to honor my humanity. Yeah. Um, and purity culture, in many ways, takes something so vast, so deep, so meaningful, and tries to put it in a box. Mm -hmm. And typically, when you force things into boxes, like, there's, there's bleed over, there's, uh, I guess... Um, it's just problematic. So to me, purity culture now personally is not something I worry about, but I still know that it has a crippling effect on many people. And so that's why I'm interested in it, in it still, because yeah. people are hurting. And I find that like that always breaks my heart. So that would be my answer to what is purity <laughs> culture as a more self-actualized woman. And this episode is all about reconstruction. And I think that deconstruction is absolutely imperative before we can reconstruct it, absolutely. before we can figure out what, what comes next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, like when I think about my own journey of deconstruction, I think I've come to this place where I've realized, like I want to base my life on ethics in the real world. You know, like looking at the questions of, is this harming me or is this harming others? Like in a legitimate way. And I think, you know, a lot of what is left over from purity culture in some ways is very ritualistic, um, religious in that sense. And I think, you know, looking back at like something like Leviticus, you know, back then we would see they have all these different rules. Like, you know, when you carry a dead body, go ahead and like change your clothes and wash your hands and stay outside the gate for, you know, 24 hours. And that just looks like a bunch of ritual. But I think as we move into the 21st century, we understand like, oh, there's germs and there's bacteria and that's the transmission of disease. And I think so many of us are still living in that ritualistic sense of purity instead of just an actual real lived and understandable way of purity, you know. Um, so, for example, you know, I think about like, for example, sexually transmitted diseases, um, you know, I think the invention of like penicillin and different types of antibiotics. I mean, that's a recent invention, like 1940s, I think, is when we had the first kind of um, anti medication for like syphilis. Um, so I think it's one of those things where it's like, what do we do now that we live in a world where we're not 
worried about the contamination and containment of disease. You know, like COVID was one of the recent examples of like, you know, we have to quarantine in order to stay safe. And I think purity culture in some ways, abstinence was a way to stay safe or one partner was a way to stay safe. If you can't do it safely, don't do it at all. Right, exactly. <laughs> but now that we have all these ways in the health and medical field to be and practice self-expression in a, in a safe and healthy way, like how do we move forward now in the 21st century? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. It's the whole sex question is so weird to me because, you know, we kind of left off the last episode with um, the idea that essentially if you save yourself until marriage, then it's going to be so, so good. Like you'll be rewarded. God will reward you for your purity. I, I think it's a pretty common universal female experience to have a note in your phone of like all of your past relationships and uh experiences i know i my my note is really funny to look back at because after every relationship um i i make very detailed notes like weirdly detailed um and <laughs> can i look at those notes i later? know of course. Course. yes I, like, I definitely don't want any trail of my past relationships. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> i'm like burn this like i'd rather not remember <laughs> and like it goes it goes so beyond anything in mine it's it's talking about like the person themselves is talking about like how the sex was in the relationship and it's yeah. it's really funny to watch the notes progress because it just keeps getting better and better like yeah. each each person in the notes section is like the sex was like so good best i've had and then the next person even better like yeah. and this idea that you're going to save yourself until marriage and then it's going to be some magical experience you're going to have the best time of your life my first time was awkward yeah. as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, how how can that be so good and so amazing when you have no idea what you're doing and there's shame around it? There's right. so much shame around it. Right, exactly. I actually want to present like a contrary idea simply because I am actually someone that will, my first time will likely be with my partner, will be with my husband. I think... Um, there was a part of it that probably started when I was younger with this idea of purity culture, with this idea of like saving yourself from marriage. But then it just became a decision that I personally wanted to follow through on. And it's not something I think rooted in shame. It's just my personal choice. Mm -hmm. And as much as other people get to choose, you know, if they want to sleep with their current partner, for me right now, where I am, my, my personal choice is that I do want to wait. So the question of like, how can it be good? I mean, I think there are defi different definitions to good, right? Like as in, like, will it feel good? Maybe not, maybe not. But I think there's also this element of I made a decision and I stuck with that. There's a value in that too. There's a mm -hmm. virtue in that. Um, and I think the problem with purity culture is that it took something so personal, which is your sexuality, yeah. uh, so intimate, which is relationship, and decided that there was a cookie cutter way to navigate it. It robbed each of us to like experience the the beauty of autonomy and of choice mm. for me to say like hey I really love this person and I want to be with them in that way um, and that be tagged to shame or worth mm. even salvation yeah. is something that's really insidious about purity culture it takes uh, the the depth and beauty of humanity and it relegates it like my worth as a human is that I'm in a relationship. My worth as a woman is that I'm in a relationship. Um, 
And and so it takes this really grand thing again and puts it in such a small scope and it diminishes my ability to just experience, to make choices, to fail, to succeed. Yeah. So speaking specifically to the idea that, um, yeah, like that, how can it be good? I, I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. But I suspect for me, something that I'll find value in is that I stuck to something I believed in, in as much as all of us are. I think yeah. that's a... I love that you're on this podcast because I feel like we are all talking about like uh, sex and stuff. But you're coming from like this place of like consent mm. that is so beautiful. And I think that's like something oddly enough was robbed of me personally with purity culture is that it was forced consent to an ideology that I had really no education behind. Mm-hmm. It was just expected of me versus you like deconstructed and came to a conclusion yourself saying, yeah. I'm going to do this, not necessarily for my religion, mm. but, but for me, for me. Yeah. like yeah. it's something I want to do for myself. And I think that's so beautiful. Just mm-hmm. like having that autonomy over yourself, whether that is to choose sex or, or to save yourself for marriage, just yeah. being able to make that very logical and secure decision yeah. Yeah. I think is something awesome to do especially as a woman especially as, and I think yeah. also because a lot of that decision came from me knowing me right yeah. like I'm such a feeler right <laughs> yeah. like and also a person that like when I love I love mm-hmm. and even with people that like unrequited love they didn't even like me back I <laughs> like the world ended and yeah. so like I think there became this point in my life where I'm like I I know that not even just like I know that I want to save this for marriage because I'm not saving it for the guy. I'm saving me. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I'm worth it. Yeah. yeah. Because I think I deserve the right to be like, this is what works best for Izrika. This is the way that I protect who I am. I think I'm so fiercely worth being loved and loved well. And the way I navigate that in this life is in my specific journey is that I'm choosing not to engage in certain types of relationship with people, not because uh, this is what the church tells me, quite frankly, bump the church. Like I'm not actually, I don't really care about these people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a part of it is that as a black woman, I've had to step out of so many um, cultures. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've had to, uh, I, in undergrad, there was an article, and I'll never forget this. I'm writing about it right now, <laughs> but it was an article, and it listed uh, the most attractive people from cultures, and Black women were the least attractive. There were statistics. Wrong. That's such a subjective, <laughs> like, yeah. how are you going to put statistics on a, like, a, a se- severely exactly. subjective <laughs> thing? Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, they did, and I've spent years, de- like, having to unlearn that, so yeah. I don't really care what people say about purity culture, per se. I never, I even in undergrad, I felt like, um, yeah, I feel like it's, you don't get to tell me how to be me, because you have life. no clue how to be me. And even yeah, though exactly. your decision technically follows the rules of yes, purity culture, it's exactly. still so anti-purity culture it's because so it's so autonomous you making the exactly it's like, something we talked about like even before the show was like i think a better even more relevant way to talk about purity culture would be like you know just about self-autonomy yes. like do i have self-clarity mm-hmm. and i think like purity is about self-clarity like am i consenting to this mm-hmm. do i want to do this what are my tastes what is my sexual preference what is my identity and what like, is the vocabulary behind yeah it? i exactly. think that's so important specifically yeah, yeah. I, we're talking about like how do we move forward and I think it's so difficult for a panel of people to talk about this considering yeah. none of us have kids yeah. <laughs> you know like I it, have a dog and a cat so 
I have cats. I'm definitely a mom. Okay. That's right. I as well. But like, if you were to have a child, like, how would you? bring up this like conversation to them like in their adolescence and i would want them to have bodily autonomy and like i think consent is so important like an enthusiastic consent Mm -hmm. you know to be able to say this is what i want and this is who i am whether it's peer pressure to do something or to not to do something Mm -hmm. like that's not being in control of yourself and so having an intellectual understanding of why I'm doing what I'm doing, I think for me falls under the, am I harming myself or am I harming other people? Like, how do I live within that bracket of ethics of like, what is the harm to self or others? And if I'm not doing either, then for me, I'm like, green light. Yeah. I know I personally learned about just even anatomy from my sister's A&P textbook um, yeah. because I I would never have gotten the talk mm. from my parents. Mm. Um even if I had waited until I moved out, I would have never gotten it. Yeah. Um, especially being in an environment where sex and just relationships and emotional intimacy were so highly controlled. Mm. Um, I had to learn from seeing the little A&P sketches of like, yeah. this is what a man has. This is what a woman has. And even that is such a confined idea. Um Yeah. And even like to speak to that, I think even when it comes like especially I would say like lesbian relationships, it's not something that is portrayed often in the culture. And so often you see these heteronormative relationships and you're searching for what to make of these feelings, what to make of what does a relationship with another woman actually look like, like trying to create a new mold for yourself where there is no mold. Mm -hmm. And so having more open conversations Mm -hmm. and having more kind of representations of what relationship can look like. And when it is represented, it's usually fetishized. Yes. Yeah, and I I think, um, so I guess like from my perspective, because I think we can all only share from our Mm -hmm. stories, I think uh, to answer the question of, if I had a daughter or a son, how would I navigate that? Well, I think a lot of that would, it's a com. The conversations I would have with my children are the conversations I would have had with myself, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think um, I don't walk around uh, feeling defined by my sexuality, feeling defined by my skin color, feeling defined by my gender, because I'm not the only black person out there. That's not unique to me. I'm not the only uh, straight woman out there. That's not unique to me. I'm not the only Adventist. I'm not the only writer. There are so many things that are not unique to me, but I am the only Azrika. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like how I would navigate purity culture at, in the future if I have kids and how I've uh, spent a lot of time on learning is that for me, purity culture puts sexuality at the forefront. It 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 took like if we are a pie, like we're a, a pie chart. It took one percent or like one part of me and made that the most important part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would teach my kids in the way I've had to teach myself that the entirety of my being is worthy of love. Mm-hmm. That no choice diminish- diminishes that. Like you're no- s- we're so much more. Than if you're a virgin or not. Exactly. Like I even remember thinking or a part of purity culture was being told that my virginity would be a gift to my husband. And I feel like that's why. And it itemizes such a a broad, (laughs) like, unique Mm -hmm. concept. I can only imagine like the breakdown, like specifically a woman would have, you know, you... I'm supposing you change your last name. Mm-hmm. You don't have that purity ring anymore. You ha- don't have that one thing that you put all of your self-worth onto. Yeah. You're probably just completely ridden of like any self-worth. Yeah. I I have this weird little uh I what if, what is it called? 
that's besides the point. I have this weird thing that I like <laughs> to do where I watch like fundamentalist couple YouTubers. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know why I go yeah, down this. like masochism to me. No, it is. no, no <laughs> it's so like... much fun. So <laughs> Spectrum, they did like these uh, tote bags recently. And I was the one that stuffed every single one of those tote bags. And <laughs> what, what I would do for those hours was watch like two hours of fundamentalist couples like talk about their What's virginity. Like yeah. yeah, their virginity experience and how great it was that they uh save themselves or marriage but like whenever the woman talk it, it, it sounded she's so repressed she's so beyond yeah. repressed and she's so lost like it's so clear and, and what I'm, even is virginity if you're not speaking in a heterosexual straight couple situation yeah. mm-hmm. like if you're a lesbian you'll be a mean? perpetual yeah, virgin you're gonna I be guess. a virgin for the rest <laughs> of your life i also think the danger with this idea of my virginity is my gift to my husband one one no, I think there are several things <laughs> one i realize we are in a culture or like we grew up in a world where we were taught about finding a partner before we were taught about finding ourselves yeah cueing like disney movies i know yeah. there were there were conversations about that two what happens if my virginity was robbed from me what happens to the people who they had things stolen from them in disgusting and forceful ways via sexual abuse? Yeah. That means if you're saying, if you're making a general statement that your virginity is a gift to your husband, that's not something they technically could offer to them. Yeah. Does that mean that they're less than? What happens in that context? I feel like many cultures, many and especially purity culture rest on a lot of privilege yeah because another thing is purity culture in the black community is very different Mm -hmm. right like uh, a part of purity culture is like the dress reform wearing a skirt down to your ankle or whatever the case is i'm naturally curvy a lot of like uh, people from the black community the hispanic community are naturally curvy and we were taught to hate though that part of us Mm -hmm. because somehow it's like i'm a temptation to someone else Mm -hmm. it's incumbent on me to dress in a way that doesn't cause them to fall not incumbent on them to to control their desires exactly it's so much responsibility yeah someone like for the holiness of other people yeah yeah and And i think oh yeah go ahead i think to to speak what you're saying you know for people who have had that kind of purity stolen from them like what world are we we building for them i think for me personally you know trigger warning like this was something that had happened to me and I think it made me just very naturally like much more curious sexually as I grew up Mm. and I was constantly trying to find ways to kind of understand that but without having language you know I wasn't surrounded by people who are willing to talk about it or to be very open with it and so you know when I finally did have my first experience with a boy in high school, my thought was like, okay, now I have to marry this person. (laughs) And like, I am so glad I did not marry my high school boyfriend. (laughs) Like, that would have been tragic. But I think we try to find ways to make amends for these parts of us that we feel shame instead of promoting a culture that's going to help them find healing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Purity culture in no way is a culture of healing. Mm -hmm. And I think since our specific topic is like, what does it look like moving forward? If I were to speak to someone who, much like us, in many ways have struggled with or encountered or even been inured to purity culture, I would, I think, speak primarily to shame. Because when shame says that, you know, you are in some way unworthy, I don't think that's a message that is congruent to our soul. Like purity culture in a way, I think it causes shame to like echo in our souls. Like it's like an echo chamber of shame. 
yeah. because it there's this check mark, a list, like you are again relegated to something very uh, one dimensional. And if you make a mistake, then you are forever out of the graces of God or you are forever unworthy of finding true love. That is such a lie. I One of the biggest things I've had to learn, unlearn, construct, deconstruct is that there is nothing I do that stops me from being worthy mm-hmm. of love. And I, I, whether it's from my perspective, love from God or love from my community, um, sex was never great enough for me to define me. So it can't undefined me. I don't know if that's a word, but you yeah. get the point. Yeah. Like yeah. it can't, it can't be the reason that all of a sudden I'm not good enough. Yeah. And so I think, um, purity culture highlights this very human tendency to not understand, uh, understand like really meaningful and deep concepts. And in the lack of understanding, they try to, to, I guess, define it, make a, again, a checklist, but humanity, sexuality, my being, I'm, I'm 33 and I'm still learning about who I am. I'm still daily falling in love with different parts of me. There's no way some random stranger who decided to write a book can tell me how to navigate such a meaningful part of my life. And yeah, for those who are listening, that's not something you are not defined by other people's perspectives on your sexuality. It's just you're simply not. Not to trauma dump really quick, but... um, (laughs) No, do it. Go for it. it. Enthusiastically consent. I was raised by abusive parents, and mm. that's why I moved out at 18. That's why I completely separated from that life. But um, this idea that my worth as a human being is based on what I do and how I act, and especially being a pastor's family and yeah. constantly scrutinized by other people, public image is at the forefront of your brain. Mm. Um, and so then I shifted from that to. Uh, well, if my parents can't love me, then maybe my my wife in the future can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that made me really idea uh, um, made me idolize the mm-hmm. idea of marriage. And I had to completely deconstruct my idea of marriage. Mm-hmm. And hearing you and your partner talk about why you're getting married last night was yeah. so incredible and special. And I just want you to like repeat what you said last night because it was so beautiful that reconstructed idea of marriage. Yeah, I mean, even the concept of our proposal, like we had to, you know, kind of come out of this kind of patriarchal normal, like the one person, the mask <laughs> is going to be the one proposing. <laughs> the mask is <laughs> yeah. uh, But like literally like what us both saying, we're going to propose to each other and to kind of create a moment where we're redefining like gender roles and how we're going to show up in this relationship. And marriage for us is not about, you know, um, being sanctioned by the world to be a couple. It's our declaration to the world that we are a couple. And I think we even kind of has postponed some of our marriage because our relationship started at the tail end of seminary. And a lot of my friends were still Adventist. And I was like, who would even come to my wedding? Like, cause we were talking about this stuff in our class and people were saying, I would never go to a gay wedding. People that I, that I love that I thought were f- my friends. Right. Uh, and I was always of the like mindset of like, but why not? Like, these are your friends. These are your people. Um, and I think there's and gay this- weddings are just so much cooler. Than straight weddings <laughs> so much <laughs> better. <laughs> Mine's going to have Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> like, uh, but like, <laughs> Roxanne, like, how do you feel? About I know, that? Roxanne's like, you will absolutely not that have that. That is the greatest thing I've heard about <laughs> a wedding ever, actually. I know. We <laughs> like, that was way funnier to me than that. <laughs> so we had actually somebody reached out to us because they wanted us to be on their like 
their TV show called Dream Weddings Abroad. And they were trying to find out like, what is our tension spots? And it, it turned out to be like, what our idea of our ideal wedding was. And hers was like, I want something like simple and white. I was like, I want, I want like drag queens. I want like, like Cirque du Soleil. Like I want like fabulous. And they're like, okay. I think I, I saw know. Cirque and some drag queens on Wish. That might yes. be <laughs> I'm telling you, if you don't come, like Me wearing Ari your best. Dress up yes, drag please. Your and if you don't put your best your makeup. <laughs> Please do. Oh my God, I would love you forever. <laughs> so like, so but but I think you know us having to redefine what that really looks like. And I, I, a part of us has postponed our wedding because we're like, we need to make new friends because I don't know who's gonna come to our okay. wedding. <laughs> yeah, you can. You're all invited. Power <laughs> girl. Exactly. Um, because we've had to build a whole new community to say who are we going to declare that we are a couple and that you can depend on us and this is a union that like we want to be a part of and the accountability aspect that yeah you mentioned of like problems are going to come up and i think that's in my mind when i've reconstructed the idea of marriage that's the biggest thing that i've come down to mm-hmm. is when you're dating somebody problems come up they're unresolvable you break up yep. in marriage that's Yes, it is an option with divorce, but in in my mind, that's what separates marriage from dating is that you're telling yourself it's not an option. Ending it to resolve the conflict is not an option. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, to have that support from other people, Mm -hmm. um, to normalize that there is going to be conflict Mm -hmm. and to be able to talk to other people. Because I think if you, especially me, like being in a queer relationship, if we don't have friends around us who are supportive of that relationship, every bump in the road is going to be like, well, see, this is God cursing you for being gay. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of being like these, there are ways to work through this, um, just like every other couple has worked through in the past. So. I'm glad that you guys redefined marriage almost like it, you said you deconstructed your mm-hmm. idea of marriage and have kind of come up with like this new definition because I feel like historically especially in purity culture the definition of marriage was like you losing your virginity mm-hmm. like that yeah. that's the whole premise of it and for us like I I you know I kind of look at marriage as like maybe like a social justice construct at one point where it's like here are women who are making themselves vulnerable to be impregnated to have children to not be economically viable in a society marriage was like a protection you know if god was commanding marriage like it was to protect women or vulnerable members of society from being kind of financially ousted or like having kids and no way to make an income for themselves well now where we're in like an egalitarian society or not really but like we we have <laughs> some, apparent, some apparent <laughs> rights where it's like here are two women coming together there is no quote victim you know no person who's more vulnerable than the other like what's the point of this um coming together so it's not so much of a a safety net as it is kind of our own infused definition of what we want it to be yeah even hetero couples where you know you pay for child care and you both have a career like there's so much stability in that that you don't need that safety net anymore yeah, because when I think about marriage as, uh, like, I will marry a man someday, maybe, I don't know, who knows. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, are you out right now? <laughs> no, <the tea. laughs> um, but, like, I don't think of it in the sense of, like, he's superior, I'm inferior. This, But this goes back to the fact that, like, I've spent such a, like, a huge amount of time learning myself, loving myself. When I have a partner, my husband 
the sole reason well for me i think i uh, in general like want to live a life from my perspective that like glorifies god but i also want to live a life that honors me yeah um, like my as in like again i'm a singular occurrence not to be it self-centered in any way i think we all are um and i think that alone is like as we sit on this couch i think about things like what has happened to lead us to this mm-hmm. very moment yeah. like the the fact that um there is only one me and there will only ever be one me through all throughout all of history when i think of a partner i want someone that um that i can highlight that uniqueness and they can do the same. Yeah. So for me, it's not like, oh, I found my provider per se. Although he can for sure take care of me. I'm not a, I'm I'll not be a above, pretty princess. I, exactly. I'm not above <laughs> being pampered. Yeah. Please. You don't need to ask you. me. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, okay. And I, again, you, you mentioned something earlier where it's like, without meaning to, in a lot of ways, I end up being like a, a paragon for purity culture just mm-hmm. because of my personal choices. Even gender norms, I, I'm not for them, but I also really love cooking and cleaning. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I told my partner yes, the other like, day, like, I would like, love to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, like, I, would I would love to be a housewife. I'm so totally bad. okay with that. I had a friend that, like, in, when she was in elementary school, she would feel so ashamed saying that she wanted to be a stay-at-home oh, mom yes. when she grew up. She was like, I didn't know what else to say, so I just said McDonald's manager. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's stay-at-home like, mom is way better. Because it was, people had a better reaction to McDonald's manager <laughs> over yeah. stay-at-home so mom. So sad. But I wow. find beauty in it. I find beauty in, and I think, again, knowing my personality, I'm just a caretaker by nature yeah. like and that doesn't diminish the fact that i find myself to be brilliant and capable that doesn't diminish the fact that i i i love to pour ideas in the world i study on my own yeah. but um again without meaning to in a lot of ways i end up being some sort of paragon but poster child um, yeah <laughs> i'm i'm a poster child and i don't even want to be on the poster but I feel don't like, be on your poster i don't want to be there <laughs> but she's like a poster child for like post purity culture yeah. world, you know yeah. like being able yeah. to consent for yourself yeah. and not listen to other people like just making decisions for yeah. yourself it's and like a purity culture cold. poster yeah. that actually had a good graphic designer yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like as in like I, I i was saying this earlier and I, it's something i've been thinking about i i really do like repudiate the whole concept of purity culture but there are elements of it that i think if we're taught in the right way could mm. be cathartic could be healing again like for me this idea um not of like uh yeah, well, I was going to say like dating, but like this whole idea of I am worth being loved mm-hmm. and loved well. And I have autonomy over what I give to another person. And I will not give X, Y, and Z, be it my heart, be it my mind, be it my body to you until I've deemed worthy, mm-hmm. until yeah. I've decided. That's such a power move. Yeah, you get to decide get how to decide. you want to be loved. Yes. Not somebody saying this is the only way for you to be loved. Yeah. And again, like I think that uh, life is not linear and all of us sitting here have so many different stories and perspectives and there's not only one path to like living a meaningful mm-hmm. and healthy and fulfilling life. Yeah. For me, it just so happens that like I... in where I am now, I'm perfectly content waiting until marriage. I'm perfectly content not like just dating around. I like tried a dating app once for 24 hours. Afterwards, I was like, <laughs> what a so waste real. of my existence. <laughs> what a waste this, of my data. <laughs> I hate this. But that's just me. I'm perfectly okay with kind of like living my life in this way. I find beauty in it. I find a lot of peace in it. I'm not in turmoil internally. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way, this is the way that I attained it. And so I can 
attest to the fact that this it is possible from this uh, vantage point, but others can attest to the fact that living a life of meaning is possible from your vantage point point yeah. as well. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and a we lot of all- <laughs> <laughs> we all get to write our own love story. We all yeah. yes, yeah. a lot of that concept is really attractive to me because I would con- consider myself a, a serial dater hmm. um, ever since I got out of the structure where I wasn't allowed to date, I've been in a relationship with someone mm. the entire time since. Um, and you're right. It's it's highs and lows. It's ups and downs of incredibly good emotions for so long. And then just the worst heartbreak you've ever felt in your life, mm, yeah. especially gay breakups. They suck. They do. Um, <laughs> I think, no one understands. No, I, I think it's breakups. It. Nah, listen, y'all. I think it's just breakups. Like, I'm no, like, no, 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 no. When, when you so tell emotional. someone that you love them a week after you start dating, that breakup is the worst breakup you will ever listen, experience. The gay post breakup skinny that I get is unmatched. Like oh, I get okay, so snatched. I'm just telling y'all, it's just breakup. Like I'm in my room, just like life is not worth living like i know i become like a victorian orphan just like rotting away in my bed and then i always write like the best poems yeah actually i have a funny story so one time i accidentally took shrooms this is like (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't someone else had it and i ate the chocolate i just thought it was Um, chocolate and i ate it and like vitamins girl that was the best night of your life I cried like I never cried in my life. I remember looking at my hands like something is off. But I just remember like the person I was interested in at the time who was totally not interested in me. (laughs) I like was looking at them on the screen, wrote this whole poem about what is love. (laughs) Anyways, I digress. Just heartbreak is not really what we're designed for. We're designed to like love. But like to what you're saying, again, just from my perspective, I've not... um, Spent, I've spent a lot of my life alone, not in a relationship. In fact, the majority, in fact, all of my life, not in a relationship, uh, like a consistent or meaningful relationship. And there are beautiful, beautiful emotions that you do experience when you find like a partner, someone that is an equal, like yeah. equal, someone that you can do life with. Um, and I, I'm hopeful for that in the future, but I don't again regret spending so much of my life finding who I am um n- uh, like being able to identify like I think of it I sing I I'm musical I guess in that sense um and there's a note like if I'm singing for church for example if I'm off key it's going to be very discernible but the only way I can know what the key is is I've heard the song enough mm-hmm. times so to spend so much of my life hearing my own song yeah. then it means that when I meet someone who their song is in harmony with mine I will know That's but so beautiful yeah like I, I, like, cry. <laughs> like, I, like I swear guys whenever I find this person it's odd it's gonna be like so beautiful That's but be the like, world's most beautiful romance <laughs> and I, I kind of think so I think it's and and again we all navigate relationships so very differently but for someone out there that maybe has a similar story to me where like you know it's just like why has why have I not find my person yet and I'm a little bit older than you guys uh, most like by like you know 10 years or so definitely not me but thank you you (laughs) like why have I not found that's true I'm 19 (laughs) but like um, I really just I feel as if one of the greatest gifts of my life has come in kind of this season of being intentional in waiting and choosing who I give what to and I think 
it will allow me when I find that person to create something so profoundly meaningful and so deep, much like many other people have. And I think what you're getting at, you know, again, is that self-clarity. Like Mm -hmm. you've spent time with yourself to know yourself, to know what you want, to know what kind of relationship Mm -hmm. you want moving forward. And I think for me, like when I think about purity culture, I'm thinking of like these ideals, these impossible ideals that usually end up being like white, heterosexual, mm-hmm. um, straight kind of relationships. But all of us here are breaking out of that box one way or another. Yeah. And so having to tell our own story and not holding ourselves to this ideal, but mm-hmm. coming to this deep sense of knowing our own voice yeah. and saying what feels right for me yeah. on this journey. Exactly. We- so. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. We are running out of time, okay. which is crazy because it fe- feels like it's this, been 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. Uh, I do. <laughs> we'll do 10 I, more. <laughs> I do want to touch really quick on the fact that like, I'm still friends with a few people from my early days of hyper-conservativeness. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of confusion and pain in a way, um, yeah. especially in their idea of marriage and um just i know so many gay seminarians who will not ever pursue um a gay relationship because they're still in the church so i guess the question it begs the question what resources are there how do we support the people who still subscribe to purity culture who never had the josh harris transformation of um dissociating themselves from my kiss dating goodbye like how what kind of resources do they get instead of just being made fun of on social media? Yeah, I guess it's just like meeting people where they're at, right? You know, like you can't fix something that doesn't want to be fixed almost. Mm. So just like being supportive, I feel like that's such a cheesy cop-out answer, but I feel like nothing really beats it, right? Yeah. Like you just have to be there for them, meet them where they're at, kind of talk navigate those conversations like mm-hmm. in the middle almost yeah. i think what's so interesting i think of like the scarlet letter where this woman who was accused of being adultery uh, an adulteress like she eventually becomes somebody that other people go to and feel safe with and i think for me what i have tried to be is just a safe person because a lot of my friends whether or not they subscribe to purity culture will find themselves not meeting that standard because the standard is impossible and so when they come and they talk to me and say i did this like to open up a new and more self-compassionate view for them to say like okay like let's not beat yourself up mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's look at this from because a- there is a lot of shame in that conversation yeah exactly let's look at this from a much more compassionate point of view and to try and be a self landing spot a soft landing spot yeah, yeah. So so that they can come to their own kind of awakening of like, maybe this is not an ideal I need to continue to keep up. Exactly. I think purity culture, much like faith, is a conversation of like profound interiority. It, yeah. it does so it's so much about what's going on within and resource wise. I say go to therapy, find like a good yes. therapist yeah. that um, can understand like the like how the tendrils of your faith and sexuality have been like uh just in your heart and how to remove those like Mm -hmm. safely and healthily. But I also just think for those who are still kind of struggling with purity culture and in many ways, I I, I still like I still bear the scars. Like I think many people bear the scars. I think the greatest thing I would say is like shame cannot be the way you define yourself. It should not. The fact that uh, you are worth so much infant like there's no there's no cap on how much you're worth and certainly a sexual act does not diminish that i think for those who are still in it just honoring 
the fact that all of us sitting here, we carry a deep and profound pain. It's just a part of our humanity. But while we carry pain, there's also beauty within us. And the thing that defines us shouldn't be like our negative experiences and certainly not the opinions of strangers. I think this idea of supporting people as they navigate that journey is so meaningful. But if I were to like sit face to face with someone right now um, who still feels and who's still limited by this shameful idea that my sexuality uh, is is where my worth is found, I would just say that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And um, there's so much more to you than your a sexual act. You are worth infinitely more than really even our relationship status. Yeah, like, such a reductionist view. Yeah, yeah like. Yeah. We're worth it. We're worthy simply because we're alive and breathing. So I think grace to those who are still in it, grace to ourselves, yeah. um, and therapy. And therapy. And, <laughs> and therapy. And therapy, yes. Well, I'm impressed. You guys have solved, solved the world's problems. Well, yeah. In an hour. Yeah. I mean, wow. Oh, we're so good. <laughs> <laughs> but the politics. Only <laughs> did you pay more for yeah. <laughs> solving world issues. But. Well, this has been really fun. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yay.